0: Hello and welcome to Let the Bird Fly, a podcast about living freely in a world given back to us. We are here continuing our series for Theology 442, History of the Reformations. We are wrapping up today then our focus on the English Reformation uh, with chapter 17 of Duffy's uh, The Stripping of the Altars book and Elizabeth. Um, And so the... Uh, most of our materials for Theology 442 have been videos so far on my U- YouTube channel. Then now I will take my lunch. But <clears throat> for the Duffy book, these have been podcast sessions. And uh, and this will uh, be our final one regarding the English Reformation. And now we we have uh, another child of Henry VIII who comes to power, um, part of the, uh, the Tudor dynasty. We had Edward, who was the uh, son of Jane Seymour. Henry's long-awaited male heir, who rules from the age of 9 to 15 and then dies young. We had Mary, uh, the daughter uh, of Catherine of Aragon, who has a five-year reign uh, and uh, seeks to kind of re-Catholicize England. And now we have uh, the daughter of Anne Boleyn, Elizabeth, who is going to come to power, if I'm remembering correctly, at 25 years of age. And then it's just going to have one of the longest, most influential reigns, I would say, in all of English history. Elizabeth is going to be just a remarkable woman. But notice also uh, the dynamics that must have been play um, in play amongst these siblings, and and at least also, especially I should say, among the sisters, um, to be one the daughter of Catherine of Aragon, and the next, the daughter of, of Anne Boleyn, who takes the place of Catherine. Right? This is the the first replacement wife after Catherine. And Elizabeth then will be a fascinating uh, character. She had no idea that Mary would die when she did. Um, she lives uncertain of her standing. How safe is she? Uh, especially if she is seen as a, a possible competitor um, by Mary. Uh, Mary had felt compelled uh, as a Roman Catholic. um or to be a Roman Catholic as the daughter of of the devout Catholic, Catherine of Aragon. Um, Elizabeth will be expected to be Protestant as the daughter of a Protestant, uh, Anne Boleyn. But besides just kind of sibling rivalries or issues there, uh, you can imagine kind of the relationship to their own father, how they see themselves in relation to their father. Uh, Mary, the daughter of Catherine of Aragon, who is, put away after years of marriage and in faithful marriage to her husband. Um, and then uh, Elizabeth, the daughter of Anne Boleyn, who uh, doesn't have a good end mm-hmm. either if we know our Tudor history. But Elizabeth's uh, reign is just going to be transformative for England and well beyond religion as well. But this will be uh, what Duffy calls the third major religious transformation in 12 years and a dozen years and uh, keep that in mind when we're talking about the English people and what they would have experienced of the church over this time. Um, this has been a, a lot of change. And so Elizabeth is going to come to power, and she her one of her chief goals is going to be to let things just simmer down, settle down and settle in. Um, she's going to come to power, and uh, her accession is November of 1558. And she's going to proclaim on the 27th of December of the same year uh, a, a, for, a forbidding of contentious preaching until consultation may be held by Parliament. And, uh, and so part of what has come to be called the Elizabethan settlement is the idea of letting things settle in and in such a way that they unify and not divide and that the Church of England becomes a big tent. It's going to be more Protestant and doctrinal orientation, but it's still going to maintain a number of traditional practices, um, customs. Um, it's going to be that uh, what many describe as this middle way, this via media. Um, and so uh, it is it is hard to underestimate the success that Elizabeth has. Um Noting on, on page 566 from Duffy early on this, this development, um, he says the act of uniformity abolishing the mass and reintroducing a slightly modified version of the second prayer book of, of Edward VI passed by the nerve-wracking margin of three votes in April of 1559 and came to use on 24 June. So this revision of the Book of Common Prayer and what becomes the Book of Common Prayer uh, passes narrowly. But I will say uh, that kind of maybe um, hand-wringing about if it would pass or not at that time did not affect the long-lasting influence that, that it would have. And so if we think about the Book of Common Prayer as a unifying thing, uh, and maybe think in our own day we have a new hymnal coming out in, in the Wisconsin Senate. And the, the hope is, right, that a number of congregations will adopt this, mm-hmm. that it will help um, provide unity. Uh, Mike, any thoughts you have? And we, we talked about it a little bit in the Henry, or I think the first session we recorded, but on the Book of Common Prayer, why hymnals, If and to speak of it a hymnal is an, is somewhat anachronistic, I suppose, but, <clears throat> but why the books and the pews historically have been so important and, and why um, it would be, makes sense for this to kind of be a bedrock of what Elizabeth is trying to accomplish.
1: Yeah, so the Book of Common Prayer um does quite a few things. Um it w- one thing liturgically it puts a lot of things in one place, right? So you have different orders from the what we call the Roman rite. Um I think that that being done in Latin m- much of the Roman rite that that the church had used is going to be the common. It's not like like the common prayer came up. The book of common prayer threw everything out and started over. Much of it is going to be familiar with uh, Roman Catholics today and 600 years ago. What it did do is it brought in uh, different orders, like for baptism, for burial, uh, morning prayer, Matins, uh, evening prayer, their vespers or compline stuff like that. So, it was common in the sense that it was what we shared in common with the church at large, but also in the English-speaking world, it was a you know common language, right? All of these books are important because um, they will. Uh, th- well, let me come back to that. Uh, it's common in the sense that it, it brings in a in one book a lot of, a lot of different rights and orders and stuff like that originally didn't have notations for the music. But there are going to be uh, versions that are going to have notations as well. It's also uh, something, uh, you know, just a broader picture of how important these can be, you can think of different bits of literature throughout the history of writing that have been so influential that it can affect the language itself. So Luther's German Bible, uh, Dante's Divine Comedy. I don't want to say com- the Book of Common Prayer may did that in the same way because it wasn't. It's not like literature. It wasn't like a. It's literally not as many words as the Bible. That kind of thing. But it certainly did solidify the church language, right? And in and, and certainly the English-speaking world, right? So um, it, I have just because I, I speak English as my native tongue, I probably, in a lot of ways, have an akin to an English Methodist than I do with maybe a German Lutheran, right? Just because of this, although that's a bad example because the Lutherans did affect the, the Book of Common Prayer. But to have something that was uniform and common was such a huge deal culturally in the church and then for, for the kingdom as well. With that said... And because of its power, it was definitely a political football within the church and within the kingdom as well. And what Elizabeth in particular tries to do is tries to uh, have a, 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 the, the middle way, the via media, as much uh, as did Cramner, too. So Cramner starts there, or it starts really already when Henry's there. It amps up under Edward. It's, you know going to be in disuse uh, or at least under Mary and then Elizabeth is going to try to she's going to try to find a narrow way much more like Cranmer did versus Edward. And she's
0: only going to lightly revise what what Cranmer put together. There's revisions after that but what we have is largely still Cranmer's work and I, I would say I, th- I like your connection to Luther Bible and other things. Cranmer had a way of putting things in, in a phrasing things in a way that was both beautiful but also Open to interpretation, mm-hmm. right if that makes sense yeah, so, so
1: and this is there is a lot of there's prayers there's there's liturgies there's there's there is there is a lot of content in there,
0: and even Stephen Gardner, who was an opponent of um the changes under Edward, said most of the mass can be found in there, so he he was a mm-hmm. traditional Catholic, mm-hmm. but he said it in a way of like if we had to use this to reintroduce Catholicism, we probably could mm-hmm. um and in that sense, maybe it's something akin to what Luther does with the mass. And that it's, there's not, you're not throwing out the Western right. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot of it still there.
1: Yeah. And maybe we should, I don't know if you want to get into the black rubric or not. Sure. Um, uh, hopefully I get this right. So there was, it was, rubric comes from the word red. And so the, the when you look at a uh, hymnal and it says something in red, that's something you do, right? Stand, sit kneel basically. Um, and there was a rubric to kneel when you take Holy Communion and John Knox and others knew you should sit, right? You know, and, 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 uh, they're fighting against the idea of adoring the sacrament, worshiping It's too Roman Catholic. It's more of a communal meal, that kind of thing. Um, you can understand that, 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 that pushback. Then there was I can't remember which version. I wanna say under the the maybe forty nine or fifty two version, anyway, it doesn't matter. There was an explanation for this. Like it's yeah. okay it's okay to kneel.
0: The fi- I think the fifteen fifty two. Um or wait. Yeah, it, it, so it, anyway,
1: if I get the gist right is it's okay to kneel but let's just be very clear that this isn't
0: not adoration. This is yes. not
1: adoration. But even going so far as to say this is not implying that it's not Christ's body and blood. I I don't have the text in front of me of that black black rubric, and I if I get this right, Elizabeth then gets rid of the black rubric right. because that's more of a middle way. And I think from what I from what I remember. and and consents is that this is more aligned to what she believes that she's inclined to believe that it's really Christ's body and blood.
0: And she seems to be more high church in general too. So she, um, yeah, so these are revisions of the 52 and, uh, she also, the 52 book had gotten rid of all vestments except the surplus. Um, and Elizabeth now restores the use of the cope by the priest when Holy communion was celebrated. Um, which also will be a big difference that'll that'll take place. Yeah, so a cope
1: is as a cape, it's a chasuble if you're familiar with that it is the pastor wears play is black gown, teaching gown, surpluses is the white that you would do, you know, if you imagine an anglican priest right now, you know, it's the black then the white and then the stole's over it and then the the cope which is basically a cape or a chasuble would be this colorful poncho like thing that would have been uh, during Worn during Holy Communion by Lutherans, Catholics, and and Anglicans. Some Lutherans, some Catholics, uh, or some Anglicans still today. So notice that she takes this long paragraph out, and and it really is like, why do you need an explanation like that anyway in a hymnal? Um, But it allows for a more Roman Catholic High Church understanding Black rubrics seem to be a little passive aggressive to me. Like, yeah. you know, like, oh, just so you know, we're not going to, we're not, we don't really believe in, you know, that's Christ's body and blood. But in right? that
0: liturgical act, more people now can see what they want to see.
1: Yeah. So it, it's, she's not making, she's not choosing sides. Right. <laughs> she is making it, like you said, a big tent kind of situation here. So for, for all of our, we've been kind of talking nicely about Elizabeth and, and trying to be fair to Edward and 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 Mary and and even Henry to a certain, you know, we're trying to be put ourselves in their shoes. None of them are trying. None of them really are being careful with the language purely for theological reasons. Right. And it, we should rightly criticize that. Yeah. yeah. And
0: and this once again gets back to the Tudor emphasis on this fear of rebellion. And there were the Pilgrimage of Grace, famously, historically, other uprisings. So you you want to do changes that minimize the likelihood of rebellion and maximize um, the attempt for toward conformity while also uh, having them be theologically influenced. So there will be um, theologians who have Elizabeth's ear, but I think especially the black rubric you mentioned, Mike, gives a good sense for how Elizabeth is trying to proceed. One way that Elizabeth will be like Edward though will be with regard to images. <laughs> and so uh, Duffy has on page 56 or 569 he says the progress of the visitation would be marked out by the smoke of bonfires of images and books in marketplaces and church greens throughout the land. And in what must have appeared an ominous preliminary to a rerun of the edwardine confiscations um, <clears throat> her injunctions required the church wardens of every parish to deliver inventories of vestments, copes and other Ornaments, plate, books, and especially of grails, um, couchers, I don't even know what a is. We have coucher is, C-O-U-C-H-E-R. Um, Legends, processionals, hymnals, manuals, portresses, I don't even know what those are, <clears throat> and such, like, um, Elizabeth definitely had learned from Edward that in the, because they didn't just uh, smash and get rid of the, the images they didn't want to have, they could pop right back up under Mary, and this doesn't mean that everything was burned or destroyed under Elizabeth, but she definitely wanted to have inventory. She wanted to know what was out there and how it was being used. And there would be visitations done to make sure that people were not making use of things um, that would have marked a traditional Catholic piety that would have undermined um, Englishness or obedience to the to the state and to the, the state church. Uh, and so images is something where this is going to be somewhat uh, Edwardian in, in its focus although um if you go to English churches today this is not Zurich or Geneva <laughs> um it's not going to be simply whitewashed and and much of a lot of what was whitewashed was very amazingly recovered too um people learned how to restore some of these things and there's some pretty humorous stories even of how people undermined and managed to restore these things uh but there will be an emphasis on um, removing images and things of that, uh, that sort. Uh, the biggest factor, though, that I just want to get back at is going to be time. Um, Duffy says on 587, And even in communities where no such dramatic repudiation of uh, popery occurred, time did what ideological confrontation could not. Uh, the Elizabethan settlement and her program for reform Simply had time for people to get used to it, uh, and and so what you have is a lot of people who maybe on both sides who wanted a more thoroughgoing Protestantism or wanted a traditional Catholicism uh, through gradualism, <clears throat> through small changes over time, uh, accommodate themselves to these things. Some of them had dilemmas about having done so, had regrets for not spoken up more vociferously, uh, but time just has a way of things settling in. And we see this in the church still today. Every local parish probably has some time honored traditions or, or parts of their church structure <clears throat> that have just been there, that they've become a, a part of the uh, uh, what, do you, what do you call it? Pheno- there's a phenomenon and then a noumenon They've become noumenons uh within the, the setting of the of the church. But well, Mike, any anything more you, you have in any regard to, to the things we've talked about so far?
1: Well I've been just trying to find out what a culture is. You can't find it either. Well it's something related to like paper making in the list.
0: Whatever it was, it must have been dangerous. Mike's lips are moving, so he must be reading something good. whole book could be a coucher. Mm. So maybe it was just it could have been different books that were used for the worship service. Yeah. You want a coucher now? I'll try to find you one. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Any large volume like a missal, a bravery. like all so the common the common book of prayer is going to put like the breviary which would be like other orders of service, the the mass book, which have been the missal, which you would have used for the Sunday service. Um, so uh, all of these different books of the medieval church would have, I think, largely been called couchers. Is that I think that's what what the meaning is. Well, that makes sense. And she then, wanted yeah. to
0: know how many there were and who right, had Right,
1: right. So you can think of the, you know. Even in churches today, you may have like a, a a lectionary, like a big book with all the readings in there. It can actually be kind of ornate. Yeah. I think that would have been one of the couchers, if I understand this correctly. So, will that make sense? <laughs> that that I want those that uh, seven minutes back in my life. But yeah. <laughs>
0: um. So basically, as as we look back at at Elizabeth's reign and the changes with the church, um, that gradualism is very important. That these things just settled in, and that people slowly accommodate. When you make drastic change, you produce more martyrs. Um, gradual change, uh, even people who disagree find themselves going along. And so Duffy hits on a few such people um, who find themselves in in, in that camp. I want to just read from the last page. So in, in my edition, this is 593. And Duffy writes, Cranmer's somberly magnificent prose, read week by week, entered and possessed their minds, and became the fabric of their prayer, the utterance of their most solemn and their most vulnerable moments, and more astringent and strident words entered their minds and hearts too, the polemic of the homilies, of Jewel's apology, of Fox's acts and monuments, and a thousand no-popery sermons, a relentless torrent of carrying away the landmarks of a thousand years. And by the end of the 1570s, whatever the instincts and nostalgia of their seniors, a generation was growing up which had known nothing else, which believed the Pope to be the Antichrist, the Mass of Mummery, which did not look back to the Catholic past as their own, but another country, another world. And I think this gets at something you said when we were discussing Mary, Mike, about how as hard as people might be on Mary, she's looking at this and saying, just because my dad and brother made some changes doesn't mean we can just give up a thousand years. Mm -hmm. And I think it's fair of Duffy to say that, right? This is a big break with the past that is taking place. And it's done partly through the propaganda of people like Fox and others who, ad- who um, you know align Englishness with Protestantism um, and with the martyrs that were produced under Mary. Um, but especially, uh, you know, as, as he, uh, he says, Cranmer's somberly magnificent prose, read week by week, entered and possessed their minds and became the fabric of their prayer the utterance of their most solemn and their most vulnerable moments. And I think here again, a theme that we've been hitting on with each of these is the importance of constancy in one's worship life or prayer life. And there, I don't know, I think we've talked about this in regular episodes for the podcast before. But uh, there are few services I've been to that can rival a really good, well-done Church of England Episcopal, Book of Common Prayer Service. Now, that doesn't mean that that's always where I've heard the best sermons, although one of the best sermons I've ever heard was in, in an Episcopal church um, in Manhattan. But, uh, but but I think uh, there is something to uh, the big-tentedness of the Book of Common Prayer and Anglican practice. Now, that being said... The Tudor imprint never leaves either. There's a certain point at which you're not welcome in Anglicanism anymore, right? You're going to have separatist movements that develop, and that's largely going to come through a failure to recognize this state that this is a state church. Um, and they're going to have their own uh, dead orthodoxy
1: versus pietism movements. Right, yeah.
0: yeah. Uh, but any, th- any closing thoughts you might have with that, with Mike, with the— um, kind of Cranmer's success um, in what he does worship wise as, as so much of this is centered on practice it makes sense it would come back to, to worship practice
1: much like Luther he could have um, although Luther had a better opportunity of this he could have led a charge and said throw it all out I mean they could have especially Luther and people would and have followed and they
0: kind of try under Edward yeah. yeah
1: and and people could have followed um <clears throat> But I I think there there's some humility there. Um, There is, for lack of a better way, a small C Catholicism there. Um, There is love, you know. I mean, even though it's hard to see that in either of these guys, because they're you know they are political animals for not political animals, but they are thrown into these difficult situations where they have to play politics where they have to be harsh. Um, uh, But but that they do have a concern for souls, especially Luther. Right. And, uh, I think they all do, you know, it's going to be played out in different ways. So it is a remarkable thing and, and notice what has to happen. There has to be, there has to be beautiful poetry in, Eng- in in, in, the language, in the vernacular, right. That's something we, we didn't really talk about too, but you're going from a Latin mass to a <laughs> English mass. Um, so it's got to have quality, it's got to be accessible, so quality English, but also in the vernacular. It's got to be uh, theologically nimble, and I don't mean that as in a bad way, although it could be a bad way where, you know, it's, it's nimble, like it could, it's not going to say too much or not to say, you know, so you, 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 you I, I don't mean that they're waffling, although maybe sometimes they are, but nimble enough that you are not going to be a bull in a china shop you know, where I got this thing that I'm worked up about. And so we're going to go an iconoclasm of words. Right. Um, and so I, I think those are, when you start thinking of the book of common prayer and why it has such a lasting influence. And, and quite frankly, just to fast forward a few hundred years and, and even up until today, um, the book of common prayer, like 150 languages, I mean, it is used all over the place,
0: and its influence on Lutheranism is important. Uh, Back and forth, anybody, right? yeah, yeah. Anybody who, yeah, I mean, Lutheranism definitely influences the Book of Common Prayer, but then any Lutheran who has done some uh, version manifestation of the Common Service, right,
1: owes it owes its language, if nothing else, than to Cranmer and then the, and then the other revisions. So, yeah, there's, it, it's actually a remarkable thing what the Anglican Church has been able to do by, by not saying you have to do this, right? In a, in a Roman Catholic way, you got to have these bare minimums, but by quality saying this is, this is important to us. So a lot of times Lutherans are like, oh, we're, we're kind of above that. We don't care about that and do our own thing or get stuck in the rut of just doing it over and over again. And not appreciating the beauty of it, um, and so just a. And this is not book of common prayer stuff, but you know the, in Christ College the the uh, the Christmas Eve uh, lessons and carols, lessons and carols, that's all over the world through the BBC. That's yeah. you know I mean, uh, two hundred years ago you could even you could hear that all over the world, right? So it is kind of a remarkable thing, and we talk about this a lot, trying to you know we will be critical of other denominations and their theology, but not to the point where we don't say we could learn something from them. And we're we're certainly like, I'm jealous of the evangelical world's ability to care about people and their evangelism, right? I am jealous that of the architecture of the Roman Catholic church. I am jealous of uh, of the ability of the Anglican church through the common prayer to maintain a classy without getting stuck in a rut kind of worship. That's why I, I think you, you ought to confess like a Lutheran, care like a Polish priest, preach like a Southern Baptist and preside like a high Anglican.
0: And the high Anglican, the best way about thing about the way they preside is like it's reverent, but also like they don't care. Like <clears throat> they're doing the thing, you know, right. they're not putting on a show, right?
1: They're doing it. Yeah. They're doing it. And and one of the... Is it is it
0: Rod Rosenblatt who said if you ever end up where there's no Lutheran church, you download some good Lutheran sermons and then... You, and I think it's Rod. I could be wrong, though. But then you you go to the Anglican church, and then when it comes time for the sermon, you put on your headphones and, <laughs> and listen to the Lutheran sermon. But, but you can see that between the... I mean, just the fact that the common service becomes such an important part of English-speaking Lutheranism in America... It makes sense that that would, and that is an influence that ought not be diminished. I mean, that's long after Cramer's life is over.
1: And then right hand in hand, of course, only, you know, a few years later, are we going to get the King James Version, which is going to alter the English language as well. So, yeah, those go hand in hand, I think.
0: All right, well, good. So that gives us a sense for Elizabeth, and that will be wrapping up the English Reformation section. Students, if you have any questions, do not be shy. Email away. Um, non-student listeners, we hope you're enjoying these and getting something out of them. Uh, the uh, We're sorry for blowing up your podcast feed, but hopefully you find it beneficial. Uh, in the meanwhile, I hope everybody's staying healthy. When this comes out, who knows what will be in the news. Um, things are kind of fluid, changing day by day, but I hope all, all of our listeners and students are staying healthy, um, finding some peace of mind uh, in Christ and in the good news uh, in these, these days of change so that... Uh, no matter what's going on, even if you gotta stay in your stinking house with your stinking family with subpar stinking entertainment because you've already watched all of Netflix, um, that's still at the end of the day. We hope you uh, you'll let the bird fly.